Welcome to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest. I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to talk about whether America is a Christian nation, Mm -hmm. and should that even be the goal? Mm. And if that isn't the goal, what should be the goal? I love it. Yeah, It's going to be a great conversation. I want to just say right now, for those of you, um, well, for all of you, we might just make you mad. Because we're going to explore this idea um, of our history and our current state and what's the best future state. So this is something we've been wrestling with, thinking a lot about. And uh, if we irritate you, you know, one of the things I love, John, I think we're doing our job Mm -hmm. if people who listen to our podcast start debating us in their car. Oh, yeah. And I got I was talking to a listener last week who said. I keep wanting to jump in there and, and interject with you guys. And that feels good. because it it's a compelling conversation. Yeah. yeah. And, and so today's going to be a compelling conversation. If you love this country, if you have deep passions and thoughts about our country, this is going to be an episode you're going to want to talk back to us a little bit. Feel free to email us. Please know we love you. We love America. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just think this is a really important conversation. It is. Yeah. We have means open. It's a two way uh, communication street. We'd love to hear back from you on this. Uh, first, before that, it is story or joke time. And it's your turn this week. Yeah. So um, I was in Phoenix recently visiting my son and my new baby, new uh, grandbaby, mm-hmm. Taylor. She's beautiful. Tim's one of our listeners. So, Tim, way to go. Brittany made a beautiful baby. <laughs> you had almost nothing to do with it, but a little bit. <laughs> almost. Anyway, uh, we were down there visiting them, and I had not, because of complications in our overall life and schedule, and uh-huh. I hadn't had a haircut in a very long time, and I needed one really bad. You were fitting in. You talk a little bit about how you know it's hard to fit in in this culture, even after all this time. The long hair was, uh, it, it was, was like some cheat codes in the fitting oh, in thing, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. You looked the more- The hair played. I think the less you look like you're trying, the more at home you look in the in, in Olympia. <laughs> I think that may be true, but I was desperate for a haircut. Okay. It was bad. I, I haven't felt this bad about my hair in a long, long time. Really? Yeah. So it anyway, it didn't look bad. Well, that's a matter of opinion. It is a matter of opinion. And uh, so we're down there and I'm like, I got to get a hair. This is driving me. Crazy. I got to get a haircut. Uh-huh. So I do a little phone search on uh, Tim lives in Mesa. And so I do a little search of barbers in Mesa. And I start getting Yelp reviews of these barbershops. Is the, and is there, I mean, it's really close to Phoenix, generally speaking. It's on the southeast, maybe just due east of so, Phoenix. So is there like a downtown area or like a... Of Mesa? Yeah. Or is it just like kind of... Well, now we got a potential to really upset even more people, but uh, <laughs> downtown Mesa is kind of not nice. Okay. Um, I don't know how many listeners we have there. But it is down, home but. to the Oakland A's training camp. Oh, there's lots of Major League Baseball training camps down there. Sure. I believe the A's, I'm pretty sure, are in Mesa. It's an older facility uh, where the A's are. And it's just kind of an older town, but it's a nice town. I like it. Good. And by the way, I'll just recommend right now, anywhere, anytime you're in the Phoenix Valley, you got to go to Bosa Donuts. Bosa. Bosa Donuts. B-O-S-A. Holy cow. Capital B-O, capital S-A. Huh. It, 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 I don't I'm not going to say anything more about that, but um, they have a ham and cheese croissant that will blow your ever-loving mind. All their donuts are amazing. It's incredible, man. Okay, we got it. We we got both the donuts. Anyway, so I'm I'm looking for a haircut, and I start you know going through these Yelp reviews, and I find this little place called Carl's. <laughs> Just Carl's. Carl's. Carl's Barbershop, and you know I cut hair. And <laughs> he's got 44 Yelp reviews, and they're all five stars. Dang. Now, a lot of these other barbershops had, you know, 500 reviews. Yeah. But I like the little guy. I look at the picture, and, man, this dude is in this tiny little strip mall that's antique. It's old. And there's a little sign on the door, Carl's Barbershop. Like flashy old? Or oh, like... no, no, no. Like the hood old. Okay. And so I call him. And I say, hey, he says, Carl's. 
and I said, uh, hey, do I need an appointment to get a haircut? Mm-hmm. We're open. Just show up. <laughs> okay. So I get off the phone. Yeah. I drive over there, and it's like stepping onto the set of Gran Torino and the barbershop scene in that mm-hmm. movie. Is he wearing like the white, the, the barber? No, like no, that, that he wasn't doing that. But there's a, there's a little color TV on a stand in the corner that's showing some game show from the 70s. <laughs> and the picture's fuzzy like it's got rabbit ears. Uh-huh. And I'm thinking, how does he do that? Is that like a, a VHS of a game show he watched when he was 12? Because there's no way he's actually getting a signal. I don't know. Somewhere. There is a cable going to the TV, but I'm like, I've never even seen this show before. It was some kind of clue password game show that I'd never seen before. I recognize the host from other stuff, but it's terrible. The TV's <laughs> terrible. Chairs are like these little just chairs that are not comfortable. The room's very boring. As I walk in, he's finishing the haircut on an old guy who's clearly retired military. And that guy, thanks, Carl. And he's walking out. Well, there's already a guy sitting there who's next. So after Carl cleans up everything, and Carl looks like he's, he looks 30 years old. He's got kind of a long, almost mullet hair mm-hmm. and uh, just nice guy. And he's talking. Facial to, hair? No, no. Mm-hmm. Clean cut, real thin. Has a golf shirt on that looks like it's about 50 years old. <laughs> uh, he's not impressive in, in any way, except he's just super nice. Mm-hmm. Well, he cuts this guy's hair, and they're talking about uh, church. This guy, I guess, is a pastor. And he's getting it high and tight. He's clearly a military kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, hmm, maybe only Carl does is high and tight. Yeah, you know? you're thinking you're going to walk out there looking like Yeah, maybe Sergeant I'm going to walk Jim. out looking like a soldier. And then I look up on the wall, and there's a little handmade sign with a Sharpie, all haircuts, $10. Wow. And I'm thinking, well, it's in my budget, you know. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But the, you get what you pay for. Yeah, I don't know how this is going to go. So uh, finally, he finished cutting that guy's hair in no time. Because he didn't need much. Mm-hmm. And so I plop in the chair. And Carl starts talking to me. <clears throat> Two pastors back to back. Yeah, I, I never did tell him that's what oh, I did. Okay. Um, but he asked, you know, um, I said, hey, it's my first time to come to Carl's. I showed him, Sue wanted me to show him a picture of my hair the way it normally is. Because mm-hmm. it was indistinguishable how long it was. <laughs> and he said, okay, I got it. I'll do my best. I said, well, that's all I asked. That's good. And so we start talking. I'm in town to visit my grandbaby. He's just super nice. This guy is really nice. Nice. And I said, Carl, how long have you been cutting hair in this place? He said, well, I've been in this shop by myself for 30 years. Whoa. He said, said, it looks like he's. Well, he did. I said, did you start when you were five? (laughs) He said, no, I'm a lot older than I look. Oh. And he's been given $10 haircuts for 30 years in this little dinky there were two chairs but he's the only guy that cuts hair so i don't know what yeah. the second chair is for maybe maybe let's see wait in the other one and could maybe be you do two at a time i'm i don't know he did he <laughs> there he doesn't do two of anything at a time <laughs> and then while i'm getting my hair cut and we're talking this other guy comes in to take his you know he's still waiting for his turn uh-huh. and he's retired military oh so maybe it's like a retired military i thing think it kind of is and then um as as me and carl are talking this guy starts interjecting and jumping in our conversation too and it was a blast like i'd known these guys my whole life it's like yeah. it's like three buds who just always go to the barbershop and have have a conversation that's like the it's really interesting like it's so uh that that image of the barbershop buds yeah. is like so well dispersed in the culture and almost yes. no one has actually had it i know but everyone like, knows it everybody like, knows about it but nobody has it this yeah. is my first experience with it and it was awesome he cuts my hair in 25 minutes flat 20 minutes Mm -hmm. it looks great i'm really happy with it i give him 21 bucks that's all the cash i had in my pocket he thanked me five times before i got out the door it's like i handed him my firstborn child (laughs) i'm like man i hope other people tip you because not stingy yeah um but that was carl's and i like my haircut and every time i go to mesa now I'm going to let my hair grow before I go and go see Carl. Go see Carl, yeah. Yeah, man, because it lets Sue have a pass on having to cut my hair. Sue mm-hmm. always cuts my hair. And and, uh, and it was kind of fun to go see Carl. I wonder how many times his price has gone up in those 30 years. That's Ten a great question. Is, yeah, maybe it used to be $3. Maybe. I don't know. Tim could go there. You, you could. Well, Tim doesn't have any hair anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he still needs to get a cut. Yeah, but he does that himself with a floby, I think. What's a floby? You've never heard of a floby? No. 
it's a little trimmer thing, uh, like a sheep shearer. Okay. That you hook to your vacuum hose. <laughs> and so it sucks your hair as you as you cut it. It's called a floby. It strikes me that I probably have never heard of it because it's about 40 years old. It hasn't yeah, been seen. But guys since. who cut their own hair, they know a floby. Gotcha. Yeah. That's a good name. At least. It is a great name. Marketable, yeah. for sure. All right, let's get started. Okay. So um, we also have a new segment to our show that we're going to start today. We've been doing show and tell. We're going to pivot now, and we're going to make that book review time. Mm-hmm. You and I love to read, and so we're going to take a pause from show and tell, and it will be book review time. And so, John, you'll be doing a book review here shortly. Yeah, just a little, just a little introduction of a book you love and why you love it, and and stuff it. of uh, like this one today will be one that I'm currently reading. So not like a full summative review, more right. like a, this just is a more cool like, thing. hey, I'm I'm enjoying this, and here's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, here we go. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read you something. Okay. Did you write this? I did not. Okay. And I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to hear your feedback. Okay. Okay, you ready? Once upon a time, there was a nation founded by Christians, established on Christian principles and ideals in order to be a Christian nation. Hmm. A city upon a hill, a new Jerusalem. God smiled on this nation and placed his hand of providence upon her. He led her and helped her grow. Soon she became the greatest nation on the planet and took stands against moral evil and political tyrants. She came to rescue to the rescue of other nations and fought against the spread of godless ideologies. But then that nation turned away from God, chose leaders who didn't honor God, passed laws that didn't honor God. That nation gave herself over to sin and deception. It soon went from a new Jerusalem to a new Sodom and Gomorrah. As a result, God took his hand of blessing off of her, waiting for her to repent and once again turn to him. To once again elect the right officials, pass the right laws, do away with accepting sin and immorality, and again become the Christian nation she was established and intended to be. Since then, God-fearing, country-loving Christians have had a singular target on the wall to get their country back to being a Christian nation through any and every means possible. The lowest hanging fruit, doing it from the top down through the political process. In other words, get a Christian in office or at least someone who will stand for and vote for Christian values. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? It should because that's the essence of what you would call Christian nationalism. Hmm. That this is the way that many Christians view America and it's how they understand the history of America. And it's the America they describe and fight for and want to get back. Yeah. What's your thoughts first? What's the first thought you have in your head right now? Ooh, uh, <laughs> I got a lot of questions. Okay. Now, here's what I want to do in our conversation. Okay. Let's consider this from a historical perspective. Is this historically accurate, this story I just told you? Yeah. Secondly, is it biblically accurate? that America was, in fact, from a biblical perspective, a Christian nation? Mm -hmm. And third, is it culturally accurate that the country was, in fact, culturally a Christian country? Well, and historically was the one where my eyebrows first, you know, rose. (laughs) Because questions like, uh, you know, at what point did this shift happen? Was it, you know, within the zero number of years where our presidents didn't own slaves like like that's <laughs> that's well that's part of that's part of the tension of this conversation is this maybe it's a uh this is what the country strove to be you could argue that but i don't think it ever was that um, well that's and 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 yet um i used to think this way this the way you wrote you or you read yes you know? i used to think this way when i was young and because there's so much in our history of the authorship of our founding fathers and the things they spoke about. Mm-hmm. Many of them had deep, deep faith and they had deep faith in Jesus. Um, and there's been this idea of a chosenness of America Yeah, that on America is a special blessing from God. Mm-hmm. I've felt that. And, and I think that's part of this uh, ideology is that throughout history, the United States had this desire to be a city on a hill and you you've had um you've had people write about that 
you know, from our early days. Yeah. Uh, it's even so slavery is the big one. Slavery is the one where even in the creation of the country, you had guys saying, well, our language isn't really matching up with our stance on these things. And then obviously that went on for a very long time to coming to a big head. And it's kind of the, uh, um, there's a, there's always been, I was, I was going to say there's been, there's a reckoning recently with this, but it's been going on forever about, you know, is this country really what it says it is, you know? Um, and, and I think, you know, in there it says America is the greatest country on earth. Uh, I was raised that way, not even specifically from you, just as a growing up in the church, growing up, you know, in the, as I did, yeah, I was raised thinking America's the greatest country on earth. And I, and, uh, and I frankly believe it is the greatest nation on earth. I think we have the, the easiest mobility as citizens yeah. in this country. But you would have churches that all had American flags in them. Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, in 1630, the Puritans, a guy named John Winthrop said, for example, we shall be a city upon a hill. Mm. And uh, this historian named Conrad Cherry, he wrote this throughout the history of Americans throughout their history. Americans have been possessed by an acute sense of divine election. They have fancied themselves to be a new Israel, a people chosen for the awesome responsibility of serving as the light to the nations. I think I grew up thinking that. Yeah. And talking about, um, cause that's, I guess I've, I've most, mostly brought up the moral, um, messiness of America. But if, if it's, if we're saying historically has America been a Christian nation, I, I wouldn't even say that we, that America was trying to be a Christian nation in the beginning. And that's, and that's the point is that um, maybe the better way to describe it historically is it was a religious nation. Hmm. It was very important to our founding fathers that you had the freedom of religion, that right. the government would not impose itself with a national religion and a cursory view of our constitution. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator. Mm-hmm. So there was a monotheistic uh, universal view. Maybe Christianity informed, but not a Christian. Um, like you said, there was no official religion. And, and uh, it was coming from it, from a country with the, you know, the ruler of that country, the king of England was, you know, they were taught that he was there by God, placed on that throne by God. Right. <laughs> like they're they're trying to go completely away from that. Like, like the separation of church and state. Yeah, the monarchy kind of getting away from that idea. Uh-huh. And the separation of church and state isn't even actually in those words in the Constitution until or or in, you know, our legislative legislature until way later. Uh, but it's there in practice from the very beginning. Yeah. The history of early America doesn't deserve to be considered as uniquely or distinctly or even predominantly Christian. Hmm. Um not if you mean a state of society reflecting the ideas of scripture. Hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that Christian values weren't present. They clearly were. Yeah. And the 10 commandments hung in every courtroom and the 10 commandments are an incredible basis from which to establish a legal system. Well, and that's, that's why when I say Christianity informed, that's what I mean. But really their goal was not to um, enforce the minutia of Christian doctrine. It was to give you space to do what you wanted in a way that would give other people space to do what they wanted. Well, Christian goals and aspirations were clearly part of the settlement of North America. Christian factors contributed to the struggle for independence. Uh, Christian principles played a role in the founding documents of the United States. You can't deny that. And that's, that's part of the confusion, I think, is when you see that, you assume that this was a bunch of preachers who put this country together. Well, uh, theological thinkers who who had a true idea to have a Christian nation. But here's the, this is the point historically. Was that in fact the case? Did they want to have a Christian nation? Right. What I'm saying is, with all the language in there that is biblical or monotheistic at least, Mm -hmm. and the Ten Commandments, I'm saying that aside, that is more um, information than goals. That's how they were informed. But their goals were right. to, as we talked about in the, the um, uh, Electoral College conversation, right. their goal was liberty, which yes. was literally to give people space. Right. Taxation with representation. Uh-huh. And, and the ability for them to go about their business as they yep. pleased without... You know, liberty was a very important value. And so, obviously, we would say 
um, a huge Christian principle is freedom, but not in that sense necessarily. Like the American dream would be a good way to say liberty, maybe. The, the ability to chase whatever you wanted to do. And that's not a decidedly Christian goal. Yes. It's and, not anti-Christian, but it's not a... You know, right. Yeah. That's why I think the better description is that we were a religious country. I do think Christianly informed, but not all of the uh, fathers who signed the document were, in fact, Christian believers. Yeah. I think Ben Franklin was an agnostic, I think, or a, a theist. I forget how he, he yeah. put it in his own words somewhere. And even when they were attempting to flesh out the Christian principles, they weren't very consistent. So when you think of the Puritans of the 1600s, do you focus on their desire to establish Christian colonies and live by the scriptures, or do you focus on stealing Native American lands and their habit of displacing and even murdering those Native Americans right. when it was convenient for them. Well, and the whole, we talked mostly about slavery so far, but the whole manifest destiny thing, like that's mm-hmm. huge. Where they, The idea of America as an inevitable great country that they then gave themselves uh, uh, the freedom to go take it from people because it it's... It's the destiny it's of the destiny. country. It's, yeah, it's, it's destiny. We're agents of destiny doing this. <laughs> Tim and I were playing golf in Phoenix, and he watches this stupid show of these YouTube channel of these golfing young guys. They're all uh-huh. college golfers, and they do stupid things like they play worst shot uh, thing. They hit. They have spin a wheel, and you have to do whatever the wheel says. So, like, hit your ball with a frying pan, <laughs> you know, stuff like this. Sure. But they say this. They'll say these two things a lot. You hit a great shot, and they'll go, oh, pure. That was pure. And then they'll say, destiny. Destiny. Yeah, you hit a great shot, and you have to say, destiny, before it even lands, because you know it's destined yeah. to be great. Yeah. Uh, so when you said destiny. But th- there are, you know, there was there was a lot of that sense that we are destined to be here, to be great, to establish this, uh, this place mm-hmm. of liberty and freedom, um, and we're going to take this land. And last thing I would say here, because I think – it very quickly became like this idea that you're saying of, of this Christian nation and all this, uh, that happened. Uh, that's not a, even a, a hundred year old idea. That's a, that's a pretty old idea for America. Mm-hmm. It's just whether or not that was the intent of the original though of the founding fathers, I guess is what we're talking about here. Right. Right. But, that's the historical. Was it truly historically? Is it historically accurate to say that this nation was formed as a goal to be a Christian right. nation. I think that's pretty decidedly no, but I would say of the people of America, I would say maybe, you know, that many of them thought this way from the very, very beginning, even in the war for independence. Right. Um, but also in, in the, the freedom of religion idea, this isn't like today where a lot of them were like Zen Buddhists. Right. This, this was exactly people of like four different flavors of very broad Christianity. And they said we're not gonna we're gonna we're not gonna play that little game that they're playing over in Europe right now right. with the Catholics and Church of England and Protestants. Exactly. Yeah. That's a that's that's exactly right. And I was thinking about the three fifths compromise. Oh yeah. So you think about that, okay? So you could say, well, how could they be Christians when they said all of us are created equal? Well, it turns out they believe some of us are created more equal than others. Right. And we're gonna consider black people three fifths of a human. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now that would tell you that that right there, that's not a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. Because they're they're uh, taking human beings created in the image of God and saying that's three fifths of a person, but it is more complicated than that because the states that had no slavery, uh, this was about representation, and here's the here's the here's the argument. This is why this is actually a legitimate conversation mm-hmm. because you had plantation owners who wanted their slaves to count as population. Oh, so each owner would get. Who knows how many votes on behalf of their on behalf of their, their slaves? So, yeah. the, so you have uh, more representatives in Congress because you have these people who are not, in fact, being treated as people in your state. They're being treated right. as property. So you want to continue to not treat them as people, but but you want you want to get more power. political power. So yeah. that is a legitimate debate that we're not going to give you a one for one human count for someone you don't even consider to be a human. Yeah. So there's some. It's still a horrific part of our history. Yeah. Well, and uh, this was a really interesting to th- to, uh, thing to learn is that the idea is kind of that like America was totally totally chill with Christian or with uh, with slavery for you know almost a hundred years, and then we were like maybe not, and then the Civil War happened. But really, there were you know huge numbers of abolitionists in the country before it was a country. Right. The founding fathers, many of them were abolitionists, and mm-hmm. they had they wanted to outlaw from the beginning, and it was it was very very complicated at the time. So. 
it's not at all to excuse the country's um, laws towards slavery, but it was not um, from the beginning. It wasn't like, oh, do whatever you want. It was there was a lot of friction over this uh, topic. One of the other debates was look at Christopher Columbus. You know, mm-hmm. he's been a hero, and yet people have uncovered and you know I got to plead ignorance here. But the argument mm-hmm. is either they're recreating history and turning him into a monster, or he was in fact a monster that we ignored the monstrous parts of him because of the role he played in our in exactly. The so uh, now with all this going back and pulling down statues, and we gotta we gotta stop recognizing or honoring certain people. Uh, here's the thing. If you think our country was supposed to be perfect from its inception and it was a Christian nation, then you need to whiteboard out everything that wasn't Christian. Mm. But the truth about our history is it was a bunch of flawed, fallen human beings who were pursuing liberty and they wanted to ensure the free practice of religion. And they had a lot of monotheistic beliefs, religious beliefs that they wove into the formation of our country, but they were not perfect. And we don't need to hide the fact that they weren't perfect. Yeah. And we don't need to pretend that they were all perfect Christians trying to desi- <laughs> design this uh, utopian Christian nation. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so now let's talk about it biblically. Mm-hmm. Biblically, there's the nation of Israel that is considered a godly nation. They are the people of God. Yeah. Uh, but you don't have that that anywhere else in scripture that would that would point this kind of direction well and the in that uh um the passage you read the new israel that is so far out of left field i don't even know biblically, what that idea, yeah right. biblically i don't know where that would have come from the whole new covenant is the destruction of that idea in a way not the destruction of the idea of israel being the the people of god because the new it's, and, it, it and, that, and that's the question, you know, people have debated, are the yeah. Jews still, is Israel still God's nation? Is it still God's people? And the New Testament clearly says that they are. Right. Um, but they are not uh, practicing that, per, you know, they're not, mm-hmm. they're not um, living that, but they are God's chosen people. The Jews are God's chosen people. And I have always valued that the United States is a defender of Israel uh, and is committed to. Uh, by policy, and we hope this policy continues, to be committed to Israel's sovereignty as a nation and helping protect that nation. Well, in a little loop back to historical Christianity, that policy is um, faith-informed, you know, mm-hmm. like like moving other people groups in the, the Middle East in, in historical Israel to put the Jews there. That is a, a largely faith-informed political move. Right. So that is, you know, that does lend credence to the. Right. To the religious, the religious history of yeah. our nation. Yeah. You know, when, when Israel crosses the Jordan River and the first city they come to is Nineveh. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Jericho. Oh, okay. And, um, I was gonna say. <laughs> and they know that there's conflict now because God has told them, um, this is your land. Take it. And, uh, rather than arm them for military force, this, God demonstrates these are, this is my nation by telling them, Circle the city seven times a day. On the seventh day, shout and blow the trumpets, and I'll do the rest. Mm-hmm. And um, that's how you have a Christian nation, that God fights for that nation. It wasn't the way that Americans took the country from Native Americans. No. And, yeah. No. Okay, so this is this, I, I love this scene from Joshua chapter 5. Mm-hmm. Joshua is leading the people. They're headed toward Jericho. And they're, you know, they're going to take it over. They're going to fight. And it says this in chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And oh, I love that line. Because is that he, an angel or something? Yeah. Or? Okay. And so this angel is there to help tell them how to defeat Jericho. Yeah. But he says, I'm not on your side. Right. <laughs> I'm on the Lord's side. Yeah. And this is an important distinction, I think, for us as Christians now, that God is not an American. Right. <laughs> and an angel of the Lord, even if he comes to help us as a nation to move forward powerfully, if you ask that angel, are you for us or for our enemies? He would say, I'm for the Lord. Right. His interests are not American interests. Exactly. Yeah. And I think this is a distinction that I have wrestled with throughout this entire election cycle. 
is I've seen Christians get wrapped around the axle that God is for a certain candidate. And I say, no, no, no. God is for his kingdom and he is for the, and, and, and we are to fight for the Lord and do our best as a nation. Yeah. But, um, but God is not an American. And there's, we, there's a lot to be said about the, um, his history conversation because that is so much more nebulous, but this is so cut and dry against that idea. It just, in just the nature of our, of the kingdom, you said it right there, the death of nationality for Christ followers. Mm -hmm. Paul only referred to his nationality, his citizenship as a tool to spread the gospel. That was the only time it ever even mattered. He played the card when it was helpful for the kingdom and, Mm -hmm. and he ignored it. Often, yeah. So even the, Jesus, the, after he feeds the five thousand, uh-huh. they try to turn him into the leader. They they rally around him, and in, even when he is being tried, he says, "Don't you know that I could summon right now legions of angels that would fight?" Um, but he says, "My kingdom is not of this earth. Yeah. Otherwise, I would put together a militia and I would kick your butt." Yeah. Uh, but that's not what I'm here for. I'm here for a different thing. So in in this model of um, discipleship that we have a country that values personal um, freedom and agency is helpful because there's not a there's not a, a oppression of ideas uh, to you know again all of this in in moderation oppression of of agency so to be a citizen of the, of the kingdom in a country like ours is easy so in that way it is it, it is conducive to Christianity a country like this as opposed to a more oppressive system but that i would never say that makes it a christian nation and to go as far as to say it's the new israel is heresy i think i mean Mm. i don't know i don't know where you get that yeah well the the idea was that there were puritans who who would said it repeatedly that that was Mm -hmm. our goal and um so there was at least for a, a segment of the population that was a that was a very real embraced goal sure all right we're we have one more angle to look at it from and that's culturally but let's do that after our segment and our commercial. So, okay, um, John, talk to us about the current book you're enjoying and why you would recommend or not recommend that we read it. Yeah, so this has its own little story. Uh, I would, uh, one of my beats when I worked at uh, a newspaper was the school district of Tonino. Mm. And the superintendent there, uh, his name was Joe Belmonte. He is retiring this year. He might have already retired, or I think at the end of the school year. Um, he is the man. I'm a big fan of Joe Belmonte and, uh, it's a great name. It's a great, yeah. Joe Belmonte. It is a very good name and he's a great guy, but not, uh, when you hear the name, you maybe think more flamboyantly than he is. He was very much like this. I picture his hair uh, slicked back. No, uh, shiny and slicked back. No, he's maybe a, an Italian suit, his shirt unbuttoned, uh, three or four buttons with a gold chain there. And I'm trying really to black hairy I'm chest. really trying to cut you off, but it, you just <laughs> wouldn't let me do it. Uh, <laughs> He is much more stoic than that. Anyway, we would, you know, we had rapport because I interviewed him once a week, basically. And uh, so eventually we start talking about books and he's a big uh, uh, fantasy, sci-fi fantasy book nerd. Oh, it's very funny. And I had no clue. And I am too. But he recommended a book that is not sci-fi fantasy. I'm, I, I'm, I'll st- try and stop your eye rolling. Uh, and he recommended this book, which is called Underland. And it is, uh, well, let me actually, I don't even know the author's name. That's kind of. That's not cool. That's me, embarrassing. His name is Robert McFarlane. And uh, the book he normally writes about uh, travels, kind of nature. Um, it's like it's like narrative poetry, life experience, nature stuff. A lot of science. Halt, I know you're killing me. When, that, when it's your turn for this, I'm going to beat that peanut gallery the whole time. I'll be throwing food at you. Lots of science, uh, but presented very narratively, very poetically. And this one is all about uh underneath the ground it's all about uh oh, oh wow uh humans it's, it's like that tv show which one on netflix that went crazy i don't know with the under with the underworld or whatever kids living on both sides at the same time oh stranger things yeah this is like stranger things. no it's not that's what i'm trying to say <laughs> <laughs> this is this is it's historical it's about people's relationship with the earth forever like the underneath the ground so it's about the epic of Gilgamesh and, and culture's relationships with uh, memory and the earth and burial ceremonies. And oh, wow. He says humans have used the earth for three things of the, burying things again, not growing. 
burying things either because they treasure it, because they fear it and want to hide it, or because something is dead and they need to they need to put it somewhere. Those are the three ways people have ever used the earth. That's a really interesting idea. And so it's from all the way back to to prehistory to now how how humans have used the earth, how uh, how how they've used the under earth, the under earth exactly. Yeah. He refers to it mythically as the underland. All of the fables of underneath the ground, like I said with Gilgamesh, with uh, um, uh, what's his name. He goes there to get his love in, in this Greek. He goes to Hades to get his love from, from death in this Greek myth. Uh, Dante in the in the Divine Comedy. Uh, things like this, just forever. And the, the history of that. So he goes on this big journey, going in deep caves, uh, visiting ancient um, human artifacts that they found on the ground, handprints on walls that are thousands of Now thousands that's real, of or the, he's, this is a. This is all real. None, none of this is fake. None of it's fiction. No. It is not fantasy in any way. Wow. But, and the way, the way he presents it is very poetic. Um, I got the free uh, sample on Kindle, and, and I was and it grabbed you so much you bought the book. Sucked in, yeah. It's really, really good, and uh, highly recommended. If you can get, if you heard me at all through the heckling <laughs> that I endured, then please give it a shot if you're interested. Yeah. All right, and we do not it get is, kickbacks from any of these books. No, no, just or any of the items that we recommend. And just to reiterate, it is Underland, one word, by Robert McFarlane. All right. Here's our commercial. We'll be right back. Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives and who are joining him on his mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com where you can learn more about the father-son duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation. All right, welcome back. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, always, always grateful. This is episode ninety-four. Welcome to episode ninety-four, and thank you to our patrons who keep this chain running. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Okay, uh, take us into our third question. Yeah. So uh, the last one is: Is it is Christian nationalism true culturally? Meaning. Is it the savviest, best way for Christians to do the work of the kingdom in our day is to turn America into a Christian nation? Yeah. Is that is that a smart play? Is that is that what God would want us to do? Would he want us to work for and push for and advocate that um, that that America would become a Christian nation or return to being uh, supposedly a Christian nation? So I want to be clear. Politics do matter. We are the salt and the light of the earth. That includes being salt and light politically. We have mm-hmm. we have the uh, the the power to vote, the freedom to vote, the obligation to vote. Uh, our citizenship is a stewardship, and there are values that we should work really hard to uphold. Mm-hmm. Um, who who the president is matters. Who our senators and representatives are matters. Who's on the Supreme Court matters. Uh, but here's the important qualifying distinction should the ultimate goal be that we be a christian nation or should the ultimate goal be that we be a nation of christians mm-hmm. what's the difference uh you talk about i guess policy would be the difference um like i've said if the goal is uh, personal freedoms and then you have a nation full of christians and you have this high mobility um incredible things are possible you know, we there's a, a story that uh, has been told at Evergreen a few times of this uh, church uh, that lowered the um, foster rate in their county to zero, where no there were no foster kids waiting for families in their county, right? Because of one church, and, and we and we have that goal. Uh, there's a group of churches here. We have that goal for Thurston County, mm-hmm. and um, we've made a big dent, a significant dent in that in that need. And so, a country with with a lot of liberty and a lot of you know uh, open ended systems, mm-hmm. people of God can do amazing things there, and they can do amazing things all over all over the planet. It doesn't really matter what the you know if if it's the will of God and the people of God are willing to follow His will, amazing things can happen anywhere. But it is it might be easier in a place like this. 
Yeah. So go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, that's basically, I would say that's the difference between uh, people, citizens of a country that are Christ followers and a country that says with our legislation, with our letter, we will um, try and enact the will of God. Yeah. I mean, Constantine tried it. Uh, Mm -hmm. We are, he declared as the king, this is a Christian nation and you would be Mm. executed. If you, if you didn't, if you uh, refuse Christ. So uh, it didn't go play well then, and it yeah. won't play now because you can't legislate faith. You can't, right. you can't legislate morality. What you can do, like if you wanted to change America at the core uh, to be more godly, what's, what's the best way to do that? Fill political offices with Christians or see a rapid spread of the gospel and change human hearts among the Americans? And the answer is clearly that one, because then people are living Christian lives, and that would make the Christian deci- the nation decisively more Christian than anything we could legislate or elect. Yeah. And so if you think about, it's almost like we're, we're asking uh, not even which is true, is America Christian culturally? But this conversation is more... Um, what would be more effective for what the author of this passage wants, where in fact they want it to be a Christian nation in the legislative literal sense, and it would actually suit them better. They would get more maybe what they want culturally if it was a culturally Christian country or a country full of Christians instead by, right. by, by this model. I agree. And, and you know, um, this is a hot topic, and I want to say, make sure I remind uh, listeners and you, John, that that people who have bought into Christian nationalism are people who genuinely want their country to be Christian. Mm-hmm. And they are they are good people who have good goals. I just don't think it's historically accurate, and I don't think that it's biblically accurate, and I don't think that it's even the, the greatest strategy to uh, redeem the fabric of our country. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons I was having kind of, I was having a hard time in the history one was because I think historically, culturally. So if you're asking, if you're asking this question a hundred years ago, is yeah. America culturally Christian? The answer is 100%. It's still no. No, it's still yes. Culturally. Is is the culture of America Christian a hundred years ago? I think the answer is a, is a, is a hearty yes. No, I think the answer is it's hearty religious. Hmm. But I'm not, and again, I'm, I'm not talking legislative. Oh, I then think what are you talking about? I'm talking the culture. Oh. I'm saying is the culture of America historically Christian? I think that answer is yes. Instead of was America Christian historically as legislative, as founding, as purposeful, as, you know, informed, the answer is, is trickier to answer. But like prohibition in the 20s, that is all 100% faith informed. Yeah. Uh, uh, prayer in schools, right. Homosexuality laws. Well, any sexuality laws really. Yeah. Even your pledge of allegiance, uh, to the United States and to the Republic of stands one nation under God. Yeah. Yeah. Indivisible. There's clearly, uh, a, a compass there. Yeah. The cultural true North of the country is, is Christian up until very, you know, 50, well, 70 years ago, maybe. Yeah. And I think maybe in the 60s, maybe, you know, 60 years ago. Yeah. We start to see pushback against the public education, uh, integration with faith and and things that are about. So I think that's where I always have a hard time with the older generation when they say, oh, you know, kids these days, that thing. The, right. Which, which every older generation for all of time has said kids these days. Yes. But I think here, this pushback of guys like, you know, you think like Rush Limbaugh or or that generation of like Republican conservative guy, they have kind of a reason why they're so frustrated is because there has been a change. The well, change has no, actually yeah, happened. It has. And it's and it's been brutal. Yeah. So it's not to say that I like like if they were to say the easiest one for me of these three questions is biblically. It's just an easy no, that that's just not the case that that. uh Biblically, America is a Christian country or the New Jerusalem, but it's easy to see why this has been very difficult for Christians in America because of this big shift. And it's difficult for me. And one of the things that we have talked about, um, maybe I've talked about and you've listened, Mm -hmm. is um, how hard it is, how lonely it feels for me to live in a state Mm. where my political views are not only 
ignored, they are um, condemned. Yeah. And so it's really hard for me. And I and you're seeing places like Boise, Idaho, explode with population growth. Yeah. Because people like me are sick of it and they're moving. And it is a it is a frustrating thing. So it is extremely frustrating to me that uh, conservative Christian values are not only rejected, they are viewed with hatred and and spite. Because they are viewed as hateful exactly. by people outside of their exactly. understanding. And that's because they don't know us. Right, yeah. Because they don't know me. Yeah. And so um, it is It is very lonely, and I mean spiritually lonely, to live in a place like this. Yeah. And um, and it's hard um, when we, when we want to fight for and advocate for solutions to problems that are great solutions, but we're ignored because of our faith. Um, it's, it's hard. It's yeah. really hard. Yeah. And I mean, um, things like even, uh, uh, Christian education or, or churches in their relationship with taxes. Um, there's a big push that, uh, Christian schools wouldn't be able to hold on to lifestyle rules. Right. These are real, real, uh, legislative realities that may change relatively quickly around the country. Yeah. And uh, when I was in school, California had a bill proposed and uh, and uh, shot down that would have revoked those rights in the state of California for Christian schools to uh, to have, you know, to have a morality clause in their teacher contracts. Exactly. Or, or student contracts was the was the big one. Yeah. Um, and so I, th- with some stuff like that, it just seems, it feels like it's only a, a matter of time. It does. And it terrifies me and I hate it. And, and it is, and this is why it's really important that we do, uh, elect in our local level and at our legislatures, uh, as many conservatives and Christians as we possibly can, hmm. uh, for those kinds of issues. Yeah. And I would say, cause I wouldn't necessarily say conservative because there are a lot. Of, I wouldn't either. I, I, as soon as I said that, that's not the right word, but conservative on, on again, like you said on the issues, that makes sense that on certain issues it, it, it would track, but also liberal on some issues where, when it comes to maybe taking care of the poor or, you know, right. there's at least more of a heart there often. It seems to me than on, yeah. uh, on you know, um, I spoke recently about this and I got a little pushback from a person who said, I just wish you hadn't said, you know, cause I was talking about the five, uh, the five cultural compasses of Christianity. Okay. Is, um, racial diversity, ethnic diversity. Mm-hmm. Christianity was the first ethnically diverse religion on the planet. Um, second was care for the poor. Third was conciliatory. That is, we forgive our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. We're forgiving people. Sure. Fourth is uh, marriage and sexuality is in a marriage between a man and a woman. And fifth was pro-life that Mm. we have advocated for orphans and the value of the sanctity of life. And uh, what I said was that, you know, we are politically homeless because conservatives republicans tend to major on those bottom two marriage sexuality and abortion mm-hmm. and democrats tend to major on the first two diversity and social justice and, yeah and taking but care nobody's conciliatory they're all hateful and and this was my <laughs> this was my conversation about being politically homeless and somebody pushed back and said hey i wish you hadn't said conservatives don't care about mm. diversity and poverty and uh, my answer to that was when we pastored in denver we decided to plant a community center in a very poor, racially diverse part of the inner city of Denver. I remember that, yeah. It was amazing. I had a great time there. I'd go there every Wednesday with uh, my friends. Yeah. But as we got involved in social work, I never could find a Republican anywhere. Hmm. And that's the first time I realized that, that people— kind of divide. Yes, that people who actually work—now, you can find lots of— very generous Republicans. You can find lots of people who care. But when you get in and work among the poor, I my experience has been it's hard to find Republicans among that crap. Yeah. And it could be because they want to vote for those topics more than anything, just like many conservatives would say, I unapologetically vote only on the basis of abortion. Right. So we've kind of wandered off the map here, but the point is to me that um, that that we have to 
engage politically. That's the point we're trying to make. And more, maybe more holistic to this conversation, I think that perfectly illustrates the point that we are, before we are Americans, before we play our little pieces in this in this strange political game in our country, this yeah. two-party game, we are Christ followers. Right. And I think if you are really, really, um, if you feel 100% on one team, maybe look at why that is. And mm-hmm. if you are playing the tribal game a little harder than you should, you know, where, where I'm on, I'm on this blue team. And right, it's like, well, really right. you're on the yellow team. Like you're on a different, <laughs> you're not even in this game. Right. You know, exactly right. And it reinforces to me that if 300 million Americans were Christians, mm-hmm. you wouldn't even have to be having this conversation. Yeah. And so uh, the best way for that to occur, this conversation to change is to see the hearts of human beings apprehended by God's grace and fall in love with Jesus and be transformed. That's the way to move toward a nation of Christians, which then would make us more resemble yeah. a Christian nation. A Christian nation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got any last takeaways, John? Uh one asterisk is I never want to ever even suggest telling people how to vote. Yeah. Uh, so so any anything that I said in there Know that that's that's at the heart of it is I, is I'm not trying to tell you what to do with your personal right. freedoms here in this country, uh, but I think it is hard to you know, Jesus found himself between two camps a lot of the time. The the Jews want him to be their warrior king, redeemer, savior, right, right. and he was here to do this in a different way. And and Romans had a different idea of him. So no, I think being a Christian is being in two camps at once almost all the time. It is, and it's a challenge, and it's a stewardship, mm-hmm. and um. I, you know, I want to reinforce that stewarding your steward, your citizenship well, stewarding your voting power well, and using that wisely. If we don't fight for things like the protection of religious practice mm-hmm. by our government, we're going to lose it. Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff. I mean, like, like I said, the freedoms that we have here make practicing and and um, effectively following, um, you know, Jesus easier. Like, if our if our creed, if our like, you know, the truths that we hold to are considered hate speech, you know, and we have speech limitation, that's a big big that's deal. That's a big deal. That's we a can, huge deal. Yeah, and we need to care about that. Yeah. So that kind of stuff, I'm, I'll I'll um, I will vocally support those kinds of political that kind of political fighting all day. Yeah. Because as soon as that happens. You know, but and we know that the gospel flourishes underneath oppressive regimes anyways. You mm-hmm. can't stop the will of God. Right. But the freedoms here really are special. They're really valuable. And we want to keep them. Yeah. Yeah. So, hey, we hope that uh, this has been helpful to you. That it's been thought provoking, that it might stir your heart. Um, may God bless America. That is really a prayer that we have. Mm-hmm. May he bless his kingdom in our country. May God have his way among us. That really is um, our prayer. Yeah, I have another conversation we're going to have one day, John, that I'm dying to have, and that is, does America have an expiration date? Oh, um, I really want to talk about that, and we may do that in a future episode. Yeah, looking hey, forward thank, to it. Yeah, <laughs> thanks for listening, guys. We love you. We're super grateful. Tell a friend, and we'll talk to you next week.